Welcome to Greater Alton Church. My name's Tim. Great to have you with us today. Well, we've been looking at people that Jesus met, and Jesus met crowds of people, of course, but he also met lots of individuals face to face, and you'd be surprised where he met people. He met people at a well, for example. He met a woman at a well. Uh, he might meet people just across the street from the temple, and he'd be talking to his disciples. He'd meet them at tax collector booths or weddings or just over to lunch. Jesus met uh, people with names and without names. There's people like Herod, uh, Nicodemus, people like that, of course, his disciples. And then there's the nameless folks, you know, the, the demon-possessed man and, and you know, a uh, woman caught in adultery, uh, the rich man. And he was always eager to meet them. I'd like you to try something sometime. Go just peruse through your New Testament and do a skim and skim through it. And see how many of those meetings were initiated by people and how many of those meetings were initiated by Jesus. And look at how Jesus handles both of them. Because that's what he calls us to be. We're in the people meeting business. So good to have some new faces here this morning. And, and we, want you to, we just want you to know Jesus wants to meet you. And that's what we've been looking at with each person. We've looked at what happens when they meet Christ and um, what happens when we meet Jesus in a similar way. Now today I want to talk about a fella. When you look at names of people that Jesus met, he's got to be at the top of the list, at least in the top three. And that's I'm talking about Peter. Peter was a fisherman. We know that. In fact, a lot of the guys uh, that followed Jesus were fishermen. And Jesus picked fishermen, I believe, on purpose. They're courageous individuals. They're very, you know, they're, they're uh, very creative as well. Um, they're tenacious. They hang in there, um, and they provided food for the community. So they were a, they were in the public a lot, and so people appreciated them. People noticed them, and uh, Jesus used these guys to learn how to catch men. And by the way, when he talks about, he says to be fishers of men. When he tells them this and teaches them this, they're they're actually going to be catching people with God's truth. That's what they're going to be doing. And so Peter, who's this obscure fisherman, we would have never known him unless he was selected by Jesus, becomes this very popular guy and, and major figure in the church and in, in God's kingdom. Uh, there's a lot of things about Peter that are just amazing. For example, Peter, uh, Paul calls Peter one of the pillars of the church in, Galat- in the book of Galatians. Jesus called him, nicknamed him, the rock. You know, So think about what he's cooking. Uh, also, uh, you'll notice that Jesus... Uh, uh, would, would also have Peter, James, and John with him. And they were known, I called them the big three. There's these three guys that are always with him. He takes them to the Mount of Transfiguration, like Alan was talking about a minute ago. He also brings them to the garden and says, Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Uh, when Jesus asked one time his disciples, Who do people say I am? And some said, Well, some say, they were guessing, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and then another one guessed one of the prophets. Well, what do you guys, you know, what do you guys think? Peter stood up and said, I'll tell you who you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the guy that says that, and Jesus compliments him for that faith. Peter's the first guy, or one of the first, to see Jesus alive. If you remember, he's the one that John and he are running to the tomb. John stops short at the entrance. Peter keeps going, and he's looking around. And according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus appears to him. One of the first people to see Jesus alive was Peter. 
Also, Peter stood up among the eleven. If you know in Acts chapter 1, uh, something happens there where uh, they're speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit is, they're speaking all these different languages. And someone says, oh, they're drunk. And Peter stands up among the eleven and goes, wait a minute, we're not drunk like you think so. It's nine in the morning. Nobody gets drunk this early. No, this is what, and he starts talking about what the Bible prophesied would happen in the book of Joel. And from that, he begins to go right into a discussion, into a sermon about Jesus dying for their sins. And 3,000 people are baptized. This is a big deal. This church goes from a number of 120 to over 3,000. That's just people that were baptized now. Doesn't count the children and everybody else that come along in one day. That had to be amazing to see. Peter's also the first to encounter persecution. If you remember, you read the book of Acts, you find this guy is encountering persecution early on. And, if, for example, they tell him, we, won't, we don't want you speaking anymore about Jesus. And if you remember, his response was, we can't help it. We have to talk about this. We've seen this and heard this, so we've got to talk about it. And then also, also we know about Peter from tradition. He dies for his faith. That he believes in God and trusts God so much that when they threaten to kill him, he is crucified. But when he's about to be crucified, he asks to be crucified upside down. He didn't want to be crucified like Jesus. So Peter's a pretty famous dude, pretty famous guy. But he's also famous for something else, and that's failing. Man, he did a lot of that. He fell on his face a lot. Are you kind of one of those people that you say something, and you say something, you know, just blast it out and only later to be embarrassed. Yeah, I have the timing. I have that kind of timing. I'll say something like, this is going to happen. This ha-, or I think this is what's going on. And someone goes, no, no, this is exactly what happened. And the egg somehow finds its way to my face. I've said that to my wife for years. You know, somehow the egg, I don't know what it is. It's like that magic bullet. It'll find a pow right in the face. And I'm embarrassed once again for saying something impulsive. Well, Peter is one of those kind of guys. He's famous for failing. At the Mount of Transfiguration, he and the disciples see, he and James and John, see Elijah and Moses and Jesus talking. And it says, I was reading it in the front row a minute ago, as Moses and Elijah are leaving, Peter says, why don't we build some houses for you guys? And all of a sudden, a voice from heaven this is my son. Listen to him. Almost to say to Peter, just shut up. And so the foot's in the mouth. When he's walking on water, I'll come out. What am I saying? You know, who wants to walk with me? You know, I'll go. And he steps right out and he starts walking. And what happens? He takes his eyes off of Jesus. Sees, you, know that, you know that. He starts sinking. Oh, God, help me. And, of course, Jesus says, here, and picks him back up. And they both walk back to the boat. So he's walking on water, but he sinks a little bit there. He's a little water soaked. I don't know how far he got. You know, uh, he's talking to Jesus about something. Jesus starts talking about, I'm going to, I'm going to be killed and, and uh, I'm going to be led away and crucified. And Peter says, never, I'll never let that happen. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, how would you like to hear that? You know, you're in you're a discipleship group, and everybody's talking about, what do you think we ought to do for Teresa Trump? Well, how about we do, why don't we make a giant, you know, pumpkin or something? Get behind me, Satan, that's stupid. Oh, okay, I won't say anymore, you know. I'm, it's just a pumpkin. Forget about it, you know. You know, and Peter's like, I don't want you to die. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. You have the things of men in your mind and not the things of God. And that's, that's Satan to a T. How do you recover from that blunder? 
Jesus is going to wash the disciples' feet. He's, it's the his greatest way to show his love. And so he starts washing the feet of the disciples. He goes around, and, and you can imagine he's washing everybody's feet. He gets to Judas's feet and washes them as if nothing's going to happen. You know, he washes them just as clean as he does. John, who loves him dearly, he gets to Peter, and Peter goes, wait a minute, what are you doing? I'm washing feet. I'm uncomfortable about this foot washing stuff. I, you're not washing my feet. What? You're not, he's arguing with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's arguing with the Messiah. You're not washing my feet. God in the flesh. You're not touching my feet. Well, I'll tell you what, Peter. If you don't let me wash your feet, you can't even be a part of me. Oh, well, well in that case, it's like you then wash all of me. And, look, man, we're not doing a body bath in front of everybody. You don't need a bath. The whole body. You just need your feet washed, okay? Just so shut up. Stick those dogs out here. Woo! And let me get started. And so you got that going on, you know? And you can just see everybody going, gosh, Peter, why, why don't you just cooperate and let him wash your feet? You know, he takes them to the garden, Peter, James, and John. Hey, guys, I want you to go with me. And they go and say, hey, would you sit right here and pray uh, that you won't fall into temptation? I mean, it's about to happen. The crucifix is about to happen. I'm going to go over here and pray. And Jesus comes back, and what happens? They're all sleeping. He's nodding off. Peter's nodding off. The other two are nodding off. Wake up. What's wrong with you guys? Be praying right now. It's important to pray right now. Okay, we're fine. Sorry. He goes away, comes back, and they're asleep again. It happens three times. What is it with Peter and three times? It's like all time. It's happening in threes to him. And this time, they don't even know what to say. And Jesus says, enough, uh, here they come, my betrayers. And then what happens there? They're in the garden, and Malchus, he's a, he takes a step toward Jesus to grab him, and Peter pulls out his sword and goes after his head and misses and cuts off his ear. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? Picks his ear up, puts it back on, put your sword away. Well, oh, I did it again. <laughs> What are you doing? Well, you said to bring a couple, but not now. What am I going to do with you, Peter? And then, you know, you think about um, even fishing for Peter wasn't always, he, he would fail at fishing. I had, a, I had a fisherman tell me one time, you know, Tim, if, if you, I said, I didn't catch anything. I don't even know why I went fishing. He goes, well, if, if, if you caught stuff, they'd call it catching. But that's why they call it fishing, Tim. You know, you don't always catch stuff. And Peter, of course, is caught a couple of times where he's fishing on the wrong side of the boat, and here's a carpenter's son who has no fishing experience, and says, go to the other side of the boat and see what happens. And if you remember, Peter would say, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Why? I made a big mistake. I didn't trust you. You know, so you got, these are constantly happening. And you think, okay, well, after Jesus resurrects, and after he ascends into heaven... Then the book of Acts is filled with just a perfect Peter here. But he still makes mistakes. He has a vision three times. There's that three again. Three times he has this vision of, of unclean animals appearing before him. And he's told to eat them. And he starts arguing. We're not supposed to eat those. It's okay. You can eat them now. Are you sure? Yeah, we checked it out. You need to go ahead. And what's this vision about? Cornelius, a Gentile, sends for him. He comes to, Gentile, comes to Cornelius after having a, this dream three times in a row about accepting unclean things. And he says to Cornelius, so why am I here? And Cornelius is like, I don't know. I was told to send for you. Don't you know why you're here? No. 
And then he realizes, oh, the Gentiles are to hear the gospel. Gosh, how did I miss that? Peter, you know, you, you bungle. You mess up sometimes. And then you read in Galatians where Paul says, I had to rebuke Peter in front of everybody one time because he would not eat with the Gentiles. Now, I, we were looking at this and Megan Harder and I were talking. I, I said Tarantino in the first service and her husband quickly corrected me. And so, so I'm sorry about that. But Megan and I were talking about this a couple of days ago around a campfire. And she goes, you know, Tim, doesn't it just give you so much hope? And I go, huh? Yeah, doesn't it just give you lots of hope? I mean, here's Peter, one of the disciples. God's using him, and he just messes up so much, and yet God keeps using him. Doesn't that encourage you, Tim? What are you trying to say? It does encourage me, I think. Yeah. Yes, of course it encourages you, and it should encourage you too, that God still uses screw-ups and mess-ups people that bungle and fail. Now, I've mentioned all these failures, but there's, you, know, you know the biggest one, the epic fail. You guys ever seen those memes, epic fail and fail? There's, there's some crazy ones out there. There's a beaver chewing on it. It's smashed by a fallen tree that it just chewed in two, and it's fail. It's just somebody bumping into, you know, bumping into a wall or something, fail, or a soccer ball hitting somebody and distorting their face, fail. And here's Peter's epic fail. In fact, John records it. I think that's interesting that John would record this. You know, John must have been a close friend of Peter, too. And he wasn't doing this to shame him. I think he wanted to let us all know something about how to love God and how to learn, how to grow through our failures. In John 13, up here on the screen, look what it says here. Jesus is saying to all his disciples, you can't come where I'm going right now. And Peter begins to argue again. But why can't I come now, Lord? (laughs) He goes, man, I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, die for me? Really? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. He said, before morning, within hours from now, in less than 24 hours, you're going to mess up. Anybody identify with that? Yeah. Someone says, I can beat that. I can mess up in three hours. Well, I can beat that 30 seconds. Oh, I'm messing up right now. I mean, we, it's just popular. You know, it's, it's easy to do. But Jesus predicts him. And you know, you know all these statements where Peter has said, I'll never, everybody else will leave you, Lord, but I'll never fail you. And Jesus has to remind Peter, yes, you will. In fact, all of you are going to. You're all going to fail. Look, it says in John 18 here. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was warming himself. He's by a fire. He's followed Jesus at a distance, by the way. I want you to think about something here. Jesus told them to pray that they would not fall into temptation. And he told them to meet him in Galilee. What is Peter doing there? He's not doing what Jesus says. And whenever you, guys, whenever we don't listen to Jesus, you're going to get yourself in some failure that you don't want. Well, he's, he loves, he has to be with him. Well, if he wants to be with him, why is he near him? Why is he following him at a distance? Here he is warming himself at the fire. It's kind of cold. It says here, um, somebody standing there says, they asked him, aren't you one of the disciples too? Aren't, that's, that's who you are, right? He denies it, saying, I'm not. 
one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? He said, I was there and saw you drop my brother's ear or my family member's ear. And he goes, nope, wasn't me. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. And as soon as he denies it, what happens? He hears the crow of the rooster. You know, elsewhere in other Gospels, it says that Peter looked around and Jesus was already looking at him and their eyes meet. And it says he walks outside and weeps bitterly. You ever had one of those kind of cries where it's just gut-wrenching? And you just don't, you can't stop? My father, when he passed away, I did the funeral. And I'm doing pretty good till I get in the car and we're going to the graveside. And I'm driving. I'm not riding in the hearse. I'm riding with my wife. And I lose it. And I'm having one of those hard cries. And I'll never forget Denise going, Tim you got to pull yourself together. You still have the graveside to do. And I'm trying to talk to her, and I can't even speak. And by, by the grace of God, he gave me the energy and the, just the focus to get to that graveside. Because my family was there, guys, and I had to be clear, and I had to be helpful to help them find Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I was going to use that moment. Whew, that was a tough time. I just remember crying the hardest. Cried so hard, I almost vomited. That's what Peter, that's what really the description here. Peter's crying so hard over his failure. Now, what's, what's Peter tell us? Well, I, I think there's three things, three facts about failure we can learn from Peter. Number one, failure hurts. Is that true? It hurts. It's painful. I mean, how do you feel after you've blown it? You blow it with your spouse or your children, your parents, or at school or at work. How do you, I know it depends on what it is. How do you feel when you've blown it when no one else is looking and it's just you and God and you know you've messed up? Yeah, it's awful. Look what David says. Here's how he describes it. I'm bent over and bowed down. I am sad all day long. See, failure is painful. It crushes your confidence. It's humiliating and embarrassing. It damages your ego. It brings with it physical pain, emotional pain, and spiritual pain. It's just awful when you blow it. Look again, look at Matthew 26, what it says here in your Bibles. He, that is Peter, went outside and wept bitterly. Why? He feels awful what he's done. Number two, failure is normal. Ah, let's everybody relax here a minute. Good. It's normal? Yeah, it's normal. So it's okay to fail? I didn't say it's okay to fail. It's just everybody does. Well, how's it go? To err is human. It's just against company policy, but it's still human. Nobody bats a thousand. You know, look at me today. Look what I'm wearing today. Do I wear my Cardinal stuff this morning? No. Do I wear the Cub stuff? Oh, heavens no. I've got one Cub thing, okay? No, I wear 5 and 0. Oh. That's what I wear. Why? Because, man, we're undefeated. We're playing the Chargers today. It could be bad. Okay, it could be bad. Who knows? I've jinxed them right there. The egg is coming to my face. No, a failure is normal. Nobody bats a thousand. Everybody blows it. Everybody blows it. You're sitting next to somebody that failed, 
and will fail. We just we all do. We all we all blow it. It doesn't matter who we are. Look what Jesus says here in, in Matthew 26 on your notes. All of you will abandon me tonight. He says to his disciples, all of you will. The scripture says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. And that's exactly what happens. It's not just Peter. All of them fail. Well, what about John? He was at the cross. Yeah, but you know, he ran out of the garden before he went to the cross. He, he messed up as well. So that's, it shouldn't surprise you. Guys, if the disciples screw up, if disciples blow it, does it stand a chance that I'm going to blow it? You're going to blow it? It's normal. I don't know, sometimes that's relaxing to know. It's reassuring to know that, all right? And I hope it reassures you to know that, that failure is just part of life. The third thing we learned from Peter is that failure is my opportunity to grow. It can be an opportunity to grow. Okay? Let me say that again. It can be an opportunity to grow. See, failure can debilitate or develop me. It can do one or the other. See, I know people who, re- who have refused to try something new because they tried before and it didn't work out. And they say to themselves, I'm not going through that again. I'm not going to try that again because I messed it up and I, I failed and I'm not going to, that's never going to happen to me again. I don't know what it is for me personally, but as I've looked at Peter's life over the years, especially in this context of failing, see if you notice this. You know, he's, Peter is so boisterous and so outspoken till then the denial takes place. And he doesn't seem to be so excited and so outspoken. In fact, it seems like he's withdrawn a little bit from everybody. Isn't, doesn't, you know, someone says, hey, go tell the disciples, and especially Peter, make sure, why? Well, I don't know if he'll be with them. That's the, that's the impression you get. Like, uh, and you notice that Peter, is, he goes back to fishing it's like he's quit and he's going back and he's going to go back to fishing. Is it, is it possible? Oh, he's fishing for his livelihood, Tim, like Paul and, the t- and making tents. That could be true. But how many times when you have blown it have you thought about going back to your old life? Going to back to something else? I've had enough of this. I can never do this. I guess I need to go back to what I know, what I am comfortable with. I get that impression. See if you notice that when you study out Peter. But then there's other people, when they experience failure, they seem to bounce back. I was reading, um, I've got it somewhere here. Here's some statements. Here's a statement by Zig Ziglar, a positive mental attitude speaker. He said this, it's not how far you fall, but how high you bounce that counts. In other words, are you able to bounce back? You know, and, and the idea that we can learn from failing. And there are people who they get back up. They're the kind of people who, when they get knocked down, like Proverbs 24 says, they get knocked down. A righteous man, he gets back up seven times. They, it's not that they ignore failure. They accept that failure, and they keep standing back up. They keep getting back up. Let me read some failure quotes here that kind of remind me of that verse and of Peter. Robert F. Kennedy said, Only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. Here's a very interesting quote. Failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. Failure is delay, not defeat. It is a temporary detour, not a dead end. Failure is something we can avoid only by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. You know, I, was, I just got through watching a, a, a movie with Spencer Tracy, an old black and white, uh, about Thomas Edison. And one of his workers says, They're trying to make the incandescent light bulb. And one of them says, you know, we have failed like 10,000 times. And he says, 
No, we've actually succeeded 10,000 times. We know 10,000 things don't work. What a way to look at things, huh? Winston Churchill said this, Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. I like this one. See if you you like this one. Someone said this one time, We're all failures. At least the best of us are. I like that. It brings out the best in us. Henry Ford said the only real mistake is the one in which we're not learning anything from. That's the big mistake. Johnny Cash. Listen to what Johnny Cash says. If you know anything about Johnny Cash, you know, Folsom Prison, you know, Ring of Fire. You've seen maybe the movies, you know. And he was a crazy guy. He got in a lot of drugs, addiction and stuff. But toward the end of his life, he gave his life to Christ. And here's what he says. You build on failure. You use it as a stepping stone. Close the door on the past. You close the door on the past. You don't try to forget the mistakes, but you don't dwell on it. You don't let it uh, here it says you don't let it have any of your energy or any of your time or any of your space. And then J.K. Rowling, who wrote Harry Potter, said this failure is so important. We speak about success all the time. It is the ability, ability to resist failure or use fa- failure that often leads to greater success. I've met people who don't want to try anything new because they're afraid they will fail. You know, so guys, you know, failure can be a good thing. It can be a great thing. Failure can be a key. It can, and I say can. It can be a key to succeeding. And that's why I believe Jesus uses, in, this, in John chapter 21, this passage to help Peter learn how to recover and how to grow when he falls on his face. And it gives us some great insight as well. See, I've learned something over the years, that the goal in life now is not to eliminate failure. I always thought that's what Christianity would do. It eliminate my failing. Christianity will not eliminate failing. Okay? So the goal or the expectation now for me is not that life is, is about eliminating my failure. No, it's about getting back up when I do. Getting back up each time. You know, I, I personally am going through a lot of discouraging things. A lot of discouraging things. And I ask myself, why am I doing this? Why do I still preach on Sundays? Why do I still get up in the morning? Why do I still go to work? And I, and I, I, I take that Proverbs 24, 16, literally, I get up. Because you give me a few minutes, and I'm going to blunder. But the thing is, I could, a lot of people just die before they die. You hear me? I don't want to die before I'm dead. And so I have to get up. And you have to get up too. Because failure can be an opportunity to grow. Look what Jesus says in John 21 here. He tells Peter, he says, look, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you don't want to go. And Jesus says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. What's he saying to Peter? Peter, you're not, it's not over. You're, it's not the end of you. You're going to glorify me. And you're going to glorify me at the end when it really counts. 
You know, again, I think it's interesting that seven weeks after Peter denies Jesus, he's now declaring Jesus to a crowd of people, and 3,000 people are baptized. That's change. That's learning from failure. Something happened in this moment. Something happened in the, when the moment when Peter fell on his face that made him get back up. And guys, it's in those critical moments for you and I, whatever failure you're having, whatever failure you experience, that's a critical moment where you, may, you must make some choices. You must make some mature, spiritual, God-given choices or it'll get the best of you. Let me, let me show you a clip. I think there's a Michael Jordan clip. Am I right, Nathan? I think it is. It's called, is it, Maybe It's My Fault is the name of it. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I led you to believe it was easy when it wasn't. Maybe I made you think my highlights started at the free throw line and not in the gym. Maybe I made you think that every shot I took was a game winner. That my game was built on flash and not fire. Maybe it's my fault that you didn't see that failure gave me strength. That my pain was my motivation. Maybe I led you to believe that basketball was a God-given gift and not something I worked for. Every single day of my life. Maybe I destroyed the game. maybe you're just making excuses now think about that for a minute maybe I'm making excuses when I fail when I need to make some decisions you know failure tells me I can't I can't I can't I can't and I was thinking about that this week thinking you know Peter's got all these reasons to say I can't Lord I can't Lord I can't I can't to himself, to God, to his friends. But then it hit me, there is something he can do. And it's something you can do when you experience the can'ts. All those failures. What are they? Well, the first thing I can do is I can own it. When I, make a, when I blow it, I can own it. And you'd be surprised how exhilarating and how refreshing and how relieving it is when you admit it and and you don't sweep it under the rug you don't make excuses you don't point the finger at people you just you you point the finger back at yourself and you go you know what my bad in 1980 uh the mayor of new york city was ed koch and ed was going up for re-election and as he was getting ready to go up for re-election, a major scandal hit the news. I don't know if it was a scandal. It was just he had spent $300,000 of the city's money on bicycle lanes, and it was a disaster. People were running into bicyclists. People were walking and getting hit by bicycles. It was embarrassing. It was awful. And so the press couldn't wait to talk to him. And one of the, the so when they finally got with him it was a 30-minute interview, and they asked him. One of the person, people asked him. They said, "Look, how can you justify wasting the taxpayers' money?" And here's Ed's response. He said, "It was a terrible idea. I thought it would work, but it didn't. It was one of the biggest mistakes that I've ever made in my life." And then he's quiet. And the press are like, "What, what do we do with that?" 
See, they were expecting him to say, blame somebody, deny it, sidestep it, sweep it under the rug. He just owns it up. Said, that was stupid. I thought it would work. What a disaster. You're right. I wasted $300,000. Never do that again. And he's quiet. The person interviewing is going, huh. Looking at their watch, we've got 28 minutes. <laughs> so they follow up with another question, just like you've watched the press do. How could you do this, they ask. And he says, I already told you. It was a stupid idea. It didn't work. And he's quiet. What do you do with that? By the way, both parties endorsed Ed Koch for re-election. Because that's the kind of guy he was. He owned it. He owned it. Do you own it? Will you own it when you mess up? Or do you tend to make excuses, sweep under the rug? Are you trying to be like the Seattle Seahawks? What are you talking about, Tim? Well, the Seattle Seahawks won the Super Bowl two years ago. And remember last year they lost it in the last second? I loved it. I remember that. You remember that? And then they lost their first two games this year to the Rams and to the Packers. Praise God. I'm watching NFL game day on September 20th, and they're talking about this, and they're interviewing the Seattle Seahawks, and they're all pointing their fingers at each other. Oh, the dumb quarterback, he won't stop, stay in the pocket, he's always running around, and the coaching was awful, he chews too much gum, you know, all this stuff, everybody's yelling and pointing fingers, and Marshall Fox sitting there, and they're talking, and he's just grinning, and he goes, you know, I think I understand what that's like, the Rams won a Super Bowl, and then we lost one. And then we were 0-2. And, and then he said these words. Here's what he says. When you're winning, you tend to look at yourself. But when you're losing, you tend to look at everyone else. True? Absolutely. Absolutely. Peter is not doing this. He's not blaming anybody. He's not making excuses for what he's done. I mean, he's wept bitterly. And so when Jesus confronts him... what's going on is they're out in a boat and he says let's go fishing if you read John 21 and they all go out some some of the other guys go with him and they're fishing they're not catching anything all night then they see somebody on the shore with a bonfire and the guy from the shore says have you caught anything and someone from the boat says no he says well cast your net on the other side of the boat like they haven't heard that before and they do and they catch 153 fish As they're pulling in the net, John looks again. He must have good eyesight. He goes, it's the Lord. And Peter, the Bible says, puts on clothes and jumps in the water. That's weird. He puts on clothes and jumps into water. And he's heading to Jesus. He's trying to get to Jesus. Now, they're in shallow water, so he's sloshing around. Have you ever tried to run in water? It's just ridiculously hard. And these other guys are pulling the boat behind him. They get to shore, and it's a beautiful fire and and fish on being cooked and some bread. And Jesus says, hey, come over here and warm yourselves up here. Have some fish. Have some bread. And then he begins to talk to Peter. He begins to ask him some questions about something, uh, uh, something that he's failed to do. He says, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he goes, of course I love you. And feed my sheep. Hey, do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you, Lord. Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you really love me? And look what it says here. 
in, in uh, verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him a third time. Why is he hurt? Well, he's hurt because, oh, you're rubbing it in. Jesus is not rubbing it in. You know, guys, sometimes we need to feel bad for what we've done. You need to hurt when you've blown. You say, Tim, I already know that. No, no. When someone brings it up. Some of us here, when we're, we're confronted, we're hurt and then we get angry. Peter's not angry with Jesus. He owns it. When you own it, you don't try to justify it. You don't do but, 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 but wait a minute. In fact, and by the way, Jesus is unafraid of hurting Peter. For those of us that confront folks, we're so afraid to hurt somebody. Sometimes hurt is good. I'm not saying, oh, I can't wait to take their head off. Jesus does not tear a new one in Peter. He's not doing it. And Peter is not making excuses. But he's moved and hurt. You say, what's the word? The word behind, the, the Greek word, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word behind this word hurt is the word lupeo. It means sorry or sorrow or to grieve. I think some of your translations, if you read them, they'll say, Peter grieved when he heard Jesus ask a third time. It's the same word in 2 Corinthians 5 that says, when Paul said, if I've caused you sorrow, lupeo, I don't regret it because your sorrow, your hurt, your pain because of your failure, lupeo, has led you to repentance. If you're afraid to get hurt, you're not going to grow. If you're afraid to get hurt, you're not going, you're not going to get very far in life. And Peter, see, Jesus doesn't say, oh, you're okay. You know, he tries to take the pain away. He, he, Peter needs to hurt. It's okay, guys. There's nothing wrong with being hurt by what you've done. It's a good thing because it leads to change. Sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change. Would you agree? Sometimes it takes that. So if somebody's talking to you and trying to challenge you about something, hey man, you're hurting my feelings. Praise God that if they don't, aren't afraid to. You've got a rare friend there that will tell you the truth. And so Peter here, he owns up to it. He's not trying to sidestep it. He's still hurt by it. Look at, look at these two passages up on the screen. Here's David, for example, after he sinned with Bathsheba. Look what he says in Psalms 51. I know I've done wrong. I remember that sin all the time. You know, Peter's, or uh, David's attitude is, look, I'm admitting I messed up, and I don't forget it. But what about the grace of God? Isn't it supposed to make you forget your sins? I think the grace of God keeps you from beating yourself up over your mistakes, but it doesn't keep you from remembering and, and learning what to do from your mistakes. Right? That makes sense. And how is, how is, is David able to even admit and own, it up, own up to it? Well, look what he says in verse 4 in the next verse. You are really the one I've sinned against. David had sinned against a lot of people. But he realized, you know, the one I really sinned against was you, Lord. And how would you do that, David? I have disobeyed you and have done wrong. I've disobeyed you. He got that specific. That's what, that's what I've done. It's not that somebody made me, to, made me do it. 
You know, she was up there bathing by herself in the roof of her home, and I happened to be up on the roof of mine, and I saw her over there. She wasn't advertising. I was looking. It wasn't her fault. It was mine. And it came down to my obedience to you, Lord. A couple of questions to ask yourself this morning. Am I quick to own my sin? One of the best things you can do is just admit it. As hard as it is, and it hurts like crazy, I know, but it's a, it's, it frees you. David talks about in a psalm that once he, he kept holding it in, and he couldn't get anywhere until he let it out and got it out in the open. Do you admit when you're wrong? Are you someone who can say, I was wrong? Boy, back in the day, I used to watch a show called Happy Days and Fawns, and he'd, every time he tried to say he was wrong, he'd go, I'm He couldn't admit he was wrong. Look what it says in Proverbs 28. This is David's son who says this. And he happens to be the son of David and Bathsheba. Is that interesting? This is the son that that lived. This This was born after they were married. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. I wonder if he heard his dad tell him that. He said, listen, son. I was miserable because I wouldn't admit it. I kept blaming people, and it's still, I was still miserable. By the way, that's how you know if you need to admit something. When you blame someone else and it doesn't go away, you're still miserable. He says he can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Doesn't that sound so much better? If we could just admit it and own it. It's difficult, I know it is, but if you want, if you want to get... Back up when you mess up. At least admit you fell. Number two, I can remember. I can remember Jesus still wants me. This is a biggie. One of the first things that I, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people are tempted to do. I am to do when I blow it is to give up, is to quit. I think about quitting. I think about getting back into those old habits. What's what's the point? What's the use? You know, I, we think to ourselves sometimes, well, I guess it's over. I guess I'm done. I guess I'll, that's the best it'll ever be. And I tried and I failed. So what's the use? I guess it's over. But it's not over, church. And if you feel that way this morning, it is not over. You can say it's over. It ain't over till God says it's over. And God says it's not over. Over? Okay, we got that? All right. You know, that's what I notice here. He just is, is, is that Peter here, Jesus still believes in him. You know, guys, you may think it's hard to believe that God still wants you when you blow it, but he does. Look at this passage in Mark 16. This is after Peter denies Jesus. This young man is sitting on top of the tomb. The tomb is empty. Some women come up. And they're looking for him. And here's what this young man says, this angel up on this tomb. Now go tell his disciples, and especially Peter. You know, I I wonder how many times God has told somebody, some other Christian, from an impression or some kind of thought, you know, Nathan, go tell Agay. Go tell your your camp and Agay. 
it's not over. You know what I'm saying? I just wonder if we, you know, somebody here, you get this impression from God, I need to go tell somebody. Somebody needs to hear this, see? They need to know it's not over till God says it's over. And God has not said it's over. And he singles out, heaven singles out Peter. Why? Well, maybe he's not with the rest of the disciples. Or maybe he's so discouraged. I mean, he was weeping bitterly. That's the last time Jesus saw Peter walk out crying. He could hear him crying. Oh, make sure we tell Peter. What do you want to communicate? Well, tell Peter that he, Jesus, will go ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. What's he want Peter to know? What's he want to know this fumber to know? He wants him to know, especially Peter, that I'm alive. I'm still alive. My love for you is still alive. My faith in you is still alive. The plan I have for you is still alive. I still want to use you. Praise God, guys, because I'll tell you, some of us here, we think maybe God's given up. He has not given up. He still loves you. He is still for you. He still believes in you. He still has that plan for you. He's just waiting for you to get up that seventh time or eighth time or hundredth time and say, I will trust you. You know, Peter is he's saying, make sure Peter comes to Galilee because Jesus wants to meet Peter at Galilee like he promised. And what does is, what is Peter and the disciples find when they go to Galilee? Well, they, they're the first there. There's nothing much going on. Peter says, let's go get in a boat and let's go fishing. And some of the disciples say, okay. Has he given up? Is he going back to his trade? Who knows? But all of a sudden, there's a flicker on the beach. They've been fishing all night, and they look back. Somebody, hey, there's a fire. Something's going on. There's somebody standing there. And the guy says, have you caught anything yet? No. And they realize it's the Lord. And Peter runs to the Lord. wonder why Peter's running to God. What do you do when you're failing? You run to God, is that your first response? Or do you want to get away from everything? And what's Peter find? What does Peter find when he gets to shore? Look what it says here in verses 9 through 13. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals where, where there were fish on it. Now here's what I think is interesting. The last time Peter was at a fire, he was denying Christ. And here's a little fire with Christ. And he comes, and he's wet. He's been in the water. He's all wet. And he comes in there, and what's he find? Here's some fish on it. Here's some bread. Jesus says, hey, bring some of the fish you've just caught over here. And Simon Peter climbs into the boat and drags the, the net ashore. 153 fish. It's, you know, when Jesus blesses, he don't mess around. The net's not even torn. He gives it all it can hold. And then he says, come have breakfast. He didn't say, come here, I need to talk to you. Let's have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Hey, you want to ask him? I'm not asking. You know it's him. And it sure looks like him. And he treats us like, like he did. Jesus, you're acting like nothing happened. Well, I'm acting like failure happened. 
That's all. I act, I, I'm acting... What Guys, have you ever thought about this? I mean, this is challenging. Do you ever notice that as you're... Some of you here have been Christians longer. You're with others that are inconsistent. Your patience with them begins to wear thin. If anybody had patience challenged, it was Jesus. Would you agree? And, and what's he do? He treats them like they're guests. And that's code word for some of you here. You know what I'm saying. We have a guest come to the door. Well, hi, how are you? And here's Joe Blow that's come through the door. It's screwed up so many times. Hi. Am I the only one that does that? Am I the only person that does that in this church? Surely there's somebody else besides me. That I find myself... Not as patient with the veterans as I am with the rookies. Here's veterans coming to the table and Jesus says, have some breakfast. That guy denied you. Not just once, twice, three times. And if I remember right, and it's one, two, you know, you're out of there. No. Jesus says, no. There's another strike and another one and another one. It's not like that at all. He treats them like we should be treating people who just mess up a lot. You know, one of these days it's going to be me that's messing up a lot. One of these days it might be you messing up a lot. And so what, what does Peter need? Well, he needs, he needs to be warmed by fire. He needs to be fed. Jesus takes care of his physical things and takes care of some things. Then he begins to talk to him about something that has to be talked about. And that's his mistake. I want, to know, I want you to know this morning, if you've, if you've blown it, maybe you've blown your marriage, or blown it in a friendship, or blown it at church, or you've blown it, you know, you've blown it at work, or all by yourself with no one looking, you've blown it really bad. It's a really bad mistake. And you don't know what to do. I want you to know that Jesus still loves you. That's what I learned from this. He still believes in you. He still thinks you can follow Him. He still thinks you can get to heaven. He still thinks you can overcome that addiction. He still thinks you can get, you can not get past it, but go through tragedy and come out like Christ. He still believes that. Praise God. And most of all, he still wants you. He said, do you love me? Yeah, feed my sheep. What do you mean? Well, if you love me, I need you to serve. I need you to love others. You love me? Yeah, take care of my lambs. Take care of the young ones. Take care of the old ones. And everybody in between. I love this. In Psalms 103, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Psalms 30. God, you pulled me out of the grave, gave me another chance at life when I was down and out. What do you mean? You gave me another chance when I fell on my face. Here's the last point, and then we're going to stop. I, by the way, remember now, let's review. I can own it. 
I can do that. I can remember that Jesus still wants me. That's never impossible. That's never impossible for you to do. But there's something else I can do. I can rededicate my life to Jesus. I can rededicate my life to Jesus. You know, Peter changed his heart, changed his mind, and he's changing direction. He's coming back to Jesus. Look again what happens. This passage in John 21, 7 through 8. It says, John says, it's the Lord. And Peter puts on clothes, jumps out of the water, and he's diving after Jesus trying to get to him. He's coming to Jesus. And you say, isn't that awesome? I think that's awesome. But I learned something here in this passage. It's not enough to come to Jesus. You hear me? It's not enough to come to Jesus. You must follow him wherever he goes. Jesus will come to you. That's why I asked you earlier. Look at all the meetings of Jesus. How many of them did he initiate? And how many of them did others initiate? And that anybody could meet Jesus, but who will follow? Isn't that what he says? He says here, he says, Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple. Look at this. He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved and was following him and says, What about him? What's going to happen to him? You know, Peter's always taking his eyes off Jesus and getting himself in trouble. When he's walking on the waves, he sees the danger. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He starts to sink. When, he's, when he's, he doesn't listen to Jesus, when he says, go to Galilee, pray and go to Galilee that you won't be tempted, he follows Jesus at a distance but takes his eyes off Christ to warn himself and denies him three times. And here he is, Jesus saying, follow me, follow me. And he goes, well, what about this guy? And he says, what about him? It's almost like he's, it's almost a light rebuke. Like, what are you worried about him for? You need to follow me. Boy, I tell you guys, aren't churches famous for comparing each other? and Not just churches, but people. We compare ourselves to each other. And should, should people be on our radar? Like Christ, yeah. But who should be the focus of all focus? Jesus Christ. It should be the Lord. You know, he says, do you love me? And by the way, this, this, idea, this, uh, this idea of love, love me, do you love me, do you love me? Um, Jesus says, do you agape me? That, the word agape, and there's two different words for love in this particular passage used. Phileo love, which is a, between a friend and, and a brother. Philadelphia is where we get the city of brotherly love. You see that? Phileo. And then there's this agape. And Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, I phileo you. Do you love me no matter what, Peter? Well, I love you like a brother. I just think you're awesome and sweet. That's what everybody likes. About, you know, they want Jesus like that. He says, yeah, but do you love me? He says again, do you love me? And by the way, Peter agrees that he loves the Lord. Do you love me, agape? Do you really love me? He goes, I fillet you. I fillet you. Yes, I love you like a brother as a trusted friend. I want our friendship back. And then he says the third time, Jesus says, do you phileo? Do you really phileo? He switches gears. says, do you really love me like you say? And Peter says, well, he's hurt. Only you know that. I guess I don't know. Now, the words can be used interchangeably. A lot of times they are in the Bible. But I just think it's interesting 
that Jesus is focusing on when it comes to rededicating your life, he's not focusing on Peter's faith. He's focusing on his love. You find that interesting? I do. See, I can do a lot of things for God based on faith, but not love. What do you mean, Tim? I don't know how to explain it. But you know, some of you don't know what I mean. I'll do it because it's right. The Bible says so, but it's not out of love for God. See, love is the only eternal thing that exists. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because when we see Jesus, faith is gone. And when we see Jesus, hope is met. All that's left is love. It's almost like Jesus is saying to Peter, Look, taking your focus off me, the reason you denied me, Peter, because you, you, you took your focus off of me. And when you take your focus off of me, it not, it not only shows your lack of faith, but it shows your lack of love. So do you love me? That's what's going to really matter. If you're going to make it, if you're going to get back up, Peter, you've got to find a way to kindle deep love for me. Revelation 2 says this. He says this to the church at Ephesus. John happens to write Revelation as well. The apostle of love says, You have left the love you had in the beginning. So remember where you were before you fell. Change your hearts and do what you did at first. What makes me fall? It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of love. And, and guys, I, I, I want to. I'm just saying to you this morning, as we look at Peter and as he has failed, he falls in love with Jesus all over again. Can I fall back in love with Jesus? Absolutely. How do I do that? I do what I did at first. I have to do that all the time. I fall out of love. I say fall out, whatever. I get away from love. You say, what are you talking about, Tim? I'm saying it's those, it's those simple things. Being in your Bible, does that really matter? It matters a lot. I've got a love letter from Denise in my memory box I get out occasionally, especially when she's not happy with me, to remind me she loves me. Could going to church and being with other Christians and, and prayer, all that, really matter? Listen, those things are big. They do develop our love. But I want to ask you this morning, are you deeply in love with God or is it more about faith? Is it about, I love God. I just love Him. And, that's, and I'll do this because I'll tell you what, my wife does things for me only because she loves me. Not because I deserve it. I mean, love is powerful. And it will do things that nothing else will. That's why the cross is God's love. He did something no one else could do. So this morning, I just want to ask you, what are you doing to rekindle your love for God? I'll tell you what you can do. You can start by just rededicating. That's what dedication is, is giving my love to God. Rededicate your life to Jesus this morning. Right where you're sitting. Maybe, maybe use, use that card and write on the card. You know, I've decided, I've checked out, I'm rededicating my life. Not rededicating to believe in God. I always have believed in God. I'm going to rededicate myself to love God and obey Him.
and seek to please him. Because then, when I do that, when I fail, I'll get back up. I'll get back up. We're going to pray and we're going to sing a song and give you a chance to fill out that card a little bit if you'd like to. Thanks. I'm so glad you're here. Some of you here I haven't seen in a long time. I'm so glad you're here. I mean that. We're so tickled that you're here today. Pray that you'll be blessed. You need to believe what, I just, what, I, what we've talked about today. Some of you here need to believe this. You can get back up. God is not interested in ripping a new one in you. He's interested in restoring you, okay? So let's have the courage, have the faith, and learn to love so you can get back up, okay? Let's pray, and we'll give you a chance to do that, and we'll sing a song here. Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. What an interesting fellow, Peter. I thought about all the different things he's done, all the good stuff he's done. And, Father, it's like a failure didn't get the best of me. It came close. I, I know, Father, that failure hurts us. It, each, some of us here are hurt by something we've done years ago, or something we, some of us here are hurt by something we did this week, and we're just hurt by it. And, Father, we... We ask you, help us use it as an opportunity. Everybody blows it, Father. All of us blow it somewhere, sometime. There's something we need to work on. We know that. Father, I pray that we'll just take our focus off of everybody else right now and just think about, try to visualize, help us visualize, Father. It's you and I, just the two of us, you know, sitting by a fire. And as I'm drying myself off, as I'm, as I'm eating what you provide, blessing me, that I let you, if you have to, hurt me to help me. Father, I know some of us here, we, we've, we've, we've failed so much, we're afraid to try again. Oh God, give us the, the courage and the love and the desire. Give it back to us to, to try again, to get back up. You love us, Father. I know you do. Those, those of us here we fear, that love you, we say we fear. We love you too. In holy fear, Father, we, we know you love us. It will never change. Let that love, Father, motivate us to change. Father, I know there's, there's people here that are sick. We have people we know that are very sick. Cancer, heart problems, you know, breathing problems. Some, some, some people we know are near death's door. And Father, we pray, yes, your will be done. But oh, Father, it would be great if you would heal. That you do your power, use your power to change the physical condition of some those we love. Father, I know some of us here, some of us are hurt emotionally. Would you heal that in which we just have a deep pain over put us with the right people with the right scriptures with the right moments or whatever it takes Lord heal us of that and Father for some of us here we have a spiritual problem it's so big we're not right with you oh God would you make that possible today that we would take a step in your direction and begin that process of rededication and recommitment because we know, Father, like the, like the prodigal, Father, the son, walking back to his father's house, you would run to us in a heartbeat. 
Oh, God, that's awesome. Help us run to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.